2: you privileged upper class people you're welcome to go and then everybody boards first and then you're just still standing there waiting for all right all the rest of you the scum of the earth you can now go all right and then you board but then they always say final call final call final boarding call This is kind of what the tribulation is like. It's God's final boarding call for people who don't know him. So guess what he has to do? He resorts to methods to finally get people's attention until they can finally hear the Verizon call. You know those
1: phone calls that you just don't answer are dropped or not a big deal? I wonder if this is how we answer Jesus as He's inviting us into life with Him. Today, Pastor Gary confronts this idea like that of boarding a plane. Friends, there will come a day when Jesus has the final say and terrible hard times will be much more evident on earth for those that are left. This event is known as the Tribulation. Do you notice me now? Are you awake? I am calling you... Dear ones, reply to Jesus, now, not later. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. That's where we will beat Revelation chapter 4. 4 as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation. And I'm going to just share a couple of things before we read just a couple of verses from chapter 4. I want to orient ourselves to where we are right now as we head here into chapter 4. As we look here on the timeline of events that show everything that is happening in the book of Revelation, we just came through the church age, which is chapters 1, 2, and 3, where uh, Jesus, well, I mean we're still in the church age literally, but in terms of the book of Revelation, where Jesus addresses seven letters to seven churches, and each of those seven churches also are not only literal, but they are also spiritual in their application, and they represent an historical aspect of the church on the church timeline of history. And so we're presently in the church age, and we are awaiting the trumpet call of God to take Christians from the earth, known as the rapture. So we're heading here into chapter 4, which is going to give us insight into the rapture of the church, and that's what we're going to talk about. This is an important doctrine of the church today that we understand in the events of what is going to transpire, that Jesus is coming again and that he's coming again first to receive his bride. We as the church are the bride of Christ, and he's going to come in the air, come in the clouds to receive his bride, to take her home, and he's going to keep us there in heaven away from all the tribulation that's going to be happening on earth. I'm I'm going to make that case, although there are, I will tell you, Wonderful brothers and sisters in the Lord who have various opinions about this, but it depends what your view of eschatology is. Eschatology is just a $5 word that means the study of end time events. So you're going to hear how I'm persuaded by Scripture in terms of what is going to be happening in the end times, but we're going to be talking about how Jesus is going to rapture the church. Now, before we even read from chapter 4, I'd like you to turn back in your Bibles to chapter 1, verse 19. What we have. Within chapter 1, verse 19, is a beautiful outline of the whole book of Revelation that Jesus gives us when he is giving instructions to the Apostle John. As John is receiving the, this revelation from Jesus, as he is there banished on the island of Patmos, Jesus says to him here in Revelation 1:19: Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, And the things which will take place after this. And so the different tenses are an outline for us of the book of Revelation. Write the things which you have seen is what we read in chapter 1. When John sees the appearance of Jesus, he has this vision of Jesus. That's the things that he has seen. And then Jesus says to him as part of this verse, Write also the things which are, present tense. John is writing in the time period of the church age, which we're still in. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven, and the the church was born, that began the church age. So John was living at the beginning of the church age, and we are presently still in the church age. And so chapters 2 and 3 are the things which are. But then Jesus says here, and then I want you to write the things which will take place after this. In the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, the words after this in Greek is meta tauta, meaning chapter one, the things that you have seen, chapters two and three, the things which are, and chapters four through 22 are the things after this. In other words, future events. So as we head now into chapter four, I want you to notice with me as we read just verses one and two, that Meta tauda is exactly the Greek words that are used at the beginning of verse one and the end of verse one, which indicates to us that this is a transition from chapters two and three, which deal with things that presently are the church age. And now we're looking into the future. Now, not everything from chapters 4 to 22 are necessarily in the future. Some things are looking backwards in time, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But when, when the Lord gives this outline there in Revelation 119, and he says, I want you to write things you've seen, things that are, and things that will come after this, we're heading now into the after this part, okay? So if you look there in your Bibles at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, John writes this, after these things, well, there's the Greek right there, Meta tauta. After these things, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And that's Meta tauta again. So, like bookends, they're in verse one. He begins with Maida Tata. He ends with Maida Tata. It's letting us know that we're transitioning now into future events. So, what we're about to read here in chapter four is in the future. And in verse two, John says, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So, he is in the spirit, transported. He's physically on the island of Patmos banished there by Domitian, the emperor, because he was a Christian. He's the last of the surviving original 12 apostles. He's now in his early 90s, it is believed, and he is transported in the spirit. So he is taken by the Lord in the spirit to heaven, where he sees one sitting on the throne. He sees the Lord sitting on the throne. So he is given this invitation he hears these words come up here and i will show you things which must take place after this made a tower and then he is transported into heaven so it's a picture here of things that are to come and we're going to talk about these first two verses all right now we have not yet obviously gotten to chapter 6 but between chapters 6 and 18 the bible describes devastating cataclysmic events that will take place upon the earth at a future time called the great tribulation. Now, some say it's just the tribulation of seven years and the last three and a half are the worst part. And so that's the great tribulation. But, you know, any tribulation is great in my mind, right? So the the Bible says that there's a time coming and chapter six through 18 detail it, which we'll get to eventually. Maybe Jesus will return before we get there. And that's fine. You can just live it out. But at some point in the future, there will be seven years of tribulation upon the earth, devastating, cataclysmic events described between chapter 6 and 18. Wars, famine, the scarcity of fresh water, global economic collapse around the world, natural disasters around the world. Earthquakes, much more than what we experience on a regular basis here. Meteor showers, hail, fire upon the earth. It's coming. And the Bible tells us between chapter 6 and 18 that when you start to calculate the number of deaths, there will be billions. You heard me right, with a B. Billions of people who will die on the earth during the period of the tribulation. Because it talks about whole percentages of populations. Billions of people will die during the Great Tribulation. Now, why would God allow that kind of thing? Why would he cause that kind of thing? Because he is behind the events of the Great Tribulation. And all I can tell you is this. I don't know what it took for you to come. How many say that you have a personal profession of faith... In Jesus Christ. I pray and trust that at some point you will come to a place where you will make a profession of faith in Jesus. We don't want to coerce you. We don't want to manipulate you. We want the Lord to draw you into relationship with him. But I don't know what it took in your life for you to finally surrender to Jesus, okay? But sometimes the path is not easy to surrender because there's a a stubborn part in all of us that is reluctant to yield to Jesus as Savior. Why? Because we want to be captain of our own ship. And we want to be in charge of our lives. And to get to the place where you finally surrender the Lordship of Jesus is a humbling thing. And sometimes God will use some very serious things to finally get our attention, to bend our knee. Okay? That's what the Great Tribulation is going to be like, because this is the last call. You ever, you know, when when you fly... And, and they're like, okay, and don't you hate when you, when you fly and they make you feel like... Well, I mean, if you're first class, if you're like the di- in the diamond club, or if you're no, all gold card carrying members, you love it because you're like the first ones. And so they're like, all gold card, you know, diamond people. All right. All you frequent flyer people, all you privileged upper class people, you're welcome to go. And then everybody boards first. And then you're just still standing there waiting for, all right, all the rest of you, the scum of the earth, you can now go. All right. And then you board, but then they always say final call, final call, final boarding call. This. This is kind of what the tribulation is like. It's God's final boarding call for people who don't know Him. So, guess what He has to do? He resorts to methods to finally get people's attention until they can finally hear the Verizon call. Can you hear me now? Forever, people are just like, I don't want to listen to Jesus. I don't want to listen to God. I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe. And God's going to be like, Can you hear me now? Because now this is the final boarding call. And what does God have to do to finally get our attention? It's the last chance. So as severe as some of this stuff looks like from chapter 6 to 18, it's the last chance. Now, I raise all this because the big question becomes, where are Christians going to be during this great tribulation that comes upon the earth? Where will Christians be? Now, again, it depends what your eschatology is on that. Eschatology just means the study of end-time events. And I will tell you that there are great godly people who differ on this, and there are three basic positions. And you're going to hear my bent, which is fine. I'm going to substantiate it with Scripture, and you're welcome to have a different view if you'd like. But there are three basic views about where Christians will be during the tribulation period. The first view is called post-trib, meaning post-tribulation. That some Christians believe, I don't share this, but some Christians believe that the church will not get taken until after the tribulation is all over, meaning we go through it. We go through all of the, chapter 6 through 18, Christians get ready. People who hold a post-trib view are basically saying, Christians get ready. And, you know, you can look at verses like Jesus did say in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble or tribulation, New King James says tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, I don't personally believe in many others that that is tribulation capital T. That's tribulation little t. We all go through tribulation at different times. We all go through troubles. We all go through difficulties. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean your life is sailing clear now. In fact, after you become a Christian, a lot of times your your life becomes even more challenging in different ways because when you were swimming with everybody else in the same direction, life was a breeze. Once you start surrendering to Jesus and have to swim against the current, it's a lot more difficult at times. And so, you're going to feel challenges in life. So when Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. Some say, well, okay, we're going to go through it. I don't think that's what it means. I think it's small t that we all go through, not capital T, tribulation. That's one view. They're the post-trib people who say, we're going to go through it. There are others who are, they take a mid-position, mid-tribulation called the mid-trib people who believe that Christians will go through half of the seven years of tribulation. And then at some point in three and a half years into the seven years of tribulation, then Jesus is going to come and take us out of here. That's the mid-tribulation view. And Jesus did say in Matthew 24 verse 22, he did say that except for that nobody would be able to endure those days, except for the fact that for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened those days will be shortened. And so some look at that and say, okay, he didn't say they will be avoided. He said they'll be shortened. And so maybe we go through half of it. And then before the worst part of it, Jesus comes for his church. So there's post-trib position. There's a mid-trib position. And then there's the right position. (laughs) All right. Okay. It's a joke, but it's what I believe. And and I'm going to substantiate it from scripture. And that's the pre-trib position. Position. It's the belief that Christians will be taken from the earth before pre-tribulation. Now, in chapter 4 here of Revelation, verses 1 and 2, let me read it again. We have a picture here that is painted and I think substantiates the pre... It's not the only place in the Bible, but I think it's it's a place in Revelation that substantiates for us the pre-tribulation view, which is how I'm persuaded it is the view of our church that Christians will be taken before the tribulation period. And here's, here's again, chapter four, verses one and two. After these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne Set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Here in Revelation 4 1, John is a type, he's a figure, he's a picture of the church raptured prior to the tribulation period, which begins in chapter 6. Now, this is an important doctrine of the church. And it is the doctrine of the rapture. This is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Now, before I make the argument from chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, about why I believe it is a proof text for the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, let me first explain what the rapture is and why we're looking forward to it. Now, if you've been here at Cornerstone for very long, you've heard me on many different occasions talk about the rapture. So this will be not new information for many of you, but for those of you who don't know, and I want to explain what we mean when we talk about the rapture. It is a word that is not found anywhere in the Bible. And my Seventh-day Adventist friends love to point that out to me, okay? Because Seventh-day Adventists do not believe in what I'm about to tell you. And I pity them, to be honest with you, because knowing that Jesus is going to come and take his bride home is the blessed hope of the church. And, and if you don't have that hope, if you're just going to you know, you know, be, be sitting around and going through all this, and uh, it never happens. I mean, to be pitied, for sure, if you believe that. Well, what I like to say in response to those who say, well, the word rapture itself is nowhere in the Bible, which is true, is that also the word trinity is nowhere in the Bible. But yet that's clearly a doctrine that as believers we believe. That God is one God who reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe the doctrine of the Trinity, but the word Trinity is not in the Bible. We also believe the doctrine of the rapture, but the word rapture is not in the Bible. So what do we mean by rapture? Just as a synopsis, here's what, what it means. That there will be a sudden return of Christ in the clouds to physically snatch only the Christians from the earth who are still alive sometime prior to the start of the great tribulation so that they will not experience the devastating things that are coming upon the earth. That's basically what the rapture is. And the doctrine of the pre-trib position is just what I recited to you. Uh, Jesus is going to come suddenly. And um, he only comes in the clouds, okay? After the tribulation, he comes down to the earth. That's a different part of our timeline we'll get to eventually. But the first part of his second coming, the first phase, if you will, is Jesus coming in the clouds to receive, to snatch Christians from the earth. And that's what, the, that's what rapture is all about. It's the idea that there's going to be this moment in time at some point. And by the way, there's nothing else in the Bible in terms of prophecy that has to happen before the rapture. In other words, the rapture could occur at any time, at any time. And so that's why we should be ready, because this part, this first phase of the second coming of Christ, when he comes in the clouds to snatch Christians from the earth could happen at any point. So what I want to do is I want to first, again, before we talk about chapter 4, verse 1 of Revelation, I first want to just build the understanding of what the rapture is about. I'm going to take you to several verses in the Bible. Again, this might be familiar territory to those of you who are familiar with the rapture, but I first want to take us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Verses 15 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18. This is what Paul wrote. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. All right, so this is intended to be comforting to us, a reminder of God's grace that is upon us as Christians. I underline the words caught up in verse 17 because that's where we get the word rapture. Now in English it says caught up. In the original Greek language of the New Testament, the word is harpazo, harpazo. It translates seized or snatched. When the Bible is translated in Latin called the Latin Vulgate, the word that was used in Latin for caught up, which is harpazo in the Greek, was raptus. That's where we get our English word rapture. Raptus in Latin means to be seized, caught up, snatched. And so this is what Paul's writing about here. Now, he writes about being caught up together with them. Who's the them? Well, you have to go back earlier and see who's he referring to. It's about in verse 15, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Okay, so let's just say, for example, Jesus were to come today. All right. That's we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord. But we will not go before, we will not precede those who are asleep. Now remember, we've talked about this before. In the New Testament, asleep is a euphemism for death. It doesn't mean, like Jehovah's Witnesses will teach you, when you die, your soul goes to sleep in the grave, and you don't wake up until the second coming. That's nonsense. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We go immediately to be with the Lord. As a believer, when we die, our spirit separates from our body and goes to be with Jesus. But our body, our physical body, Will remain in a tomb and, and our bodies decompose. So, when he says here, we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep.
1: Always jump in, and you'll find the cornerstones, your connection, run towards your new life. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. This book of revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to these events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit CornerstoneConnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection.
0: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know you're not alone